Glad to see everyone here today, despite daylight savings time, or as us church people like to call it, the day where we think that everyone who is usually late to church might actually be here on time, the one Sunday out of the year. So thank you so much for being here. Um, it's Pastor Felix Trevino. I'm the lead pastor here at Impact City Church. We are glad you guys are here. Today we're going to be continuing um, our series to the walk of the book of Philippians called Letters from Prison. Now in case you forgot, this series uh, started off with us looking at the letter that the Apostle Paul sent to the church back in Philippi. Now, the Apostle Paul planted this church. This was the church that he dug into the soil of Philippi, helped bring up these people, helped disciple these people from the ground up. I mean, people who are far away from God, who he invested time and love and just, just himself into. And then later on, he left the church because it was doing good. And upon his journey to plant more churches, was arrested, picked up, by the Roman government and thrown into a jail cell. And this book, this letter, is that. It's a letter from Paul back to the church from jail. He's actually locked up at this time, and he's writing back to the people of his church. Now, we've been going verse by verse through this book and since August of this past year, and we've covered a lot of really good things. It's been a really cool book. We've learned lessons about the church We've learned lessons about each other and how to interact with people of the church. We've learned about suffering in the name of the Lord and to be content in all situations. And we also said that there was a theme to this whole letter. That if this one letter could be summed up into one sentence, a theme, if, it, if you will, the, the thing that's on the back of the book, if you will, this one thing would be this, that despite the present circumstances, we should always rejoice in the gospel. And no matter what is going on in your life, I don't care if it's cancer, I don't care if it's celebration, whatever happens in your life, we should rejo- rejoice in the gospel. Excuse me. Rejoice in the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul has been doing throughout this whole letter. He's been rejoicing in the gospel. From the midst of a dark, cold prison cell, we find out that Paul, in the middle of all of that, is still full of joy. He's excited. He's happy. He's locked up in the middle of a jail cell. And it's not like jail that we have nowadays where they got like PlayStations and Wi-Fi. They have like access to HBO. No, they're in the middle of nowhere in the bottom of a cellar, cold, dark, and wet. And he is in there. And while he's in there, he finds ways to rejoice. He finds things to be happy about. He finds ways to have joy in his life, and he's excited about things. He's actually so excited that he starts to, to sing praises all the time, and as he's talking about his joy, he's talking about his life, he's sharing the gospel, and as the gospel is being proclaimed, he finds a way to continue his work even in the midst of a pretty crappy situation, and in that crappy situation, he continues to grow the church of Christ as he is glorifying Jesus' name, and people are coming to know the gospel, including the prison guards. Yeah, Paul takes the best out of a bad situation and makes it better. It's because of that reason that in this book, I felt like it was that reason that we needed to be going through it. That us as a church, we needed to walk through this book together. We needed to go through this book and we needed to learn some things. Because, um, you know, as followers of Jesus, we have got to know how to rejoice in all circumstances. As followers of Jesus, we have got to know how to rejoice in our circumstances. What did Christ say 
upon uh, his disciples. He said, in this world you will have trouble. I know that verse. In this world you will have trouble. And so if we are promised trouble in our life, one, we should not be surprised when trouble comes. And two, we need to learn how to be joyful in that trouble, in that circumstance. Is that easy to do? No. There are so many things going on around us that we need to learn how to be joyful in. Listen, we are on the verge of what will go down as probably one of the most insane yet memorable presidential elections in U.S. history. It's going to be huge, huge. It's going to be huge. Let me say this. Admit it or not, you're probably scared, just like I am. You and me are probably just as scared. 300 million people in America, and we've narrowed it down to two candidates. And don't say that there's other political parties out there that you can vote for, okay? You're like, oh, but no, there's not just two. There's actually more. There's more political parties you can vote for, Pastor. There's other, there's other options out there. Well, that's, that's cool. You can say that. But that, like right now, if I was to place a bet on who was going to win the Super Bowl, that me voting for someone else outside of the two candidates would be like me saying the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl <laughs> this year. <laughs> you probably have more luck seeing a unicorn being ridden by a leprechaun going down the SBID sometime today than you will actually seeing the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl. If you're from Cleveland, I'm sorry. Your football team sucks. Anyway, and like it or not, one of these two people... One of these two people will become our president. One of these two people will become our president, like it or not. But remember, we rejoice in all circumstances. Amen? We rejoice in all circumstances. Now, just on a side note, okay, and I I truly hope you go out and vote this election. I truly hope you do. And just hold on to your pants. This is going to be a, amen, thank you, Ms. Wilbanks. And this is going to be a sermon within a sermon. You might say that your vote doesn't count, but it does count. That's not true. It does count. It matters to God. Your vote matters to God. Your vote matters because it's your voice. It's your declaration. Your your vote matters because it is your scream saying that you decide to, to choose something. That your voice says that I declare that upon my morality and what I believe is true, I will make a choice to support that. Even if it doesn't win or not, you have made that choice in front of God saying, I declare, I stand upon this. And I will show you that I am fighting for your truths. Your vote matters because it shows where your worldview lies as well. But before you vote, I want to urge you to do two things. I want you to be informed. I want you to be prepared. Okay? Informed and prepared. One, one, to be informed. I want you to be informed by researching not just the candidate, but the party that they are affiliated with. You're like, man, I didn't think we were going political. We don't go political here. This is like the one, this is like the, 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 the five minutes of political statements you will hear from your pastor this whole year and next year, maybe next four years, okay? But know your candidates. Know the policies that they believe in. Know and understand what they are doing. Know the parties that they represent, okay? And no matter who is the president, just know this, that they are more influenced by their political party than anything else. So don't just vote for a candidate. Vote for a party, Okay? And we all like the party, but that's not the type of party I'm talking about, okay? Also, understand that we're not so much as electing a president this year as we are selecting and electing a Supreme Court. The president of this next term, these next four years, will have the opportunity to elect and affirm two to four Supreme Court justices. And why is that so important, you say? 
Well, because if you know, if you've been keeping up with the news, lately the Supreme Court justices seem to be making up the laws in this land. If you value your religious freedom, you will vote for someone who will give the Supreme Court justices the ability to maintain their own religious beliefs and ensure that our religious freedoms stay intact. So don't just vote for a candidate. Vote for someone who you know will help support the values that you value as well. Secondly, be prepared. Be prepared with lots of prayer. You have no business in the voting booth if you have not prayed about that. You're not electing someone based upon your opinion. You should never do that because we are flawed human beings. You should elect someone based upon what God has told you to do. So pray before you vote. If anything, that's the one thing I want you to hear today. Before you go to the booth, whether you've already voted, you're like, crap, I didn't pray. Uh, pray that your, your, your choice was good. Or whether you're about to vote on Tuesday, pray and then vote. Pray and then vote. Understand a couple things about that. Understand that God is in control, and he allows who he wants to become elected. Your vote matters, of course, but ultimately God allows whoever he wants to allow to be elected. And he's been doing this for centuries, okay? Let me just give you some comfort. He's been doing this. He's been using leaders who may or may not be of God to lead into God's will throughout centuries in the Bible and all over the world. He allowed Pharaoh to be in charge of Egypt at the time whenever Moses was telling Pharaoh, let my people go. He allowed a man who was not of God to be in charge. Why? So that through that man, he can show his supreme power and reign over this world. He said, Pharaoh's going to be the guy in charge, and I'm going to work my magic through Pharaoh. Watch. Through ten plagues, God rained down his power and showed the world that he was awesome. He allowed Saul to be elected king by, a na- by the nation of Israel, knowing that Saul was not the one that he had really wanted, but the nation of Israel wanted Saul. And so he said, okay, I will allow you to have Saul. You have about three or four good years with him. Then he's going to go crazy, okay? And during that time, I will raise up a young warrior named David, and you will fall madly in love with this guy because he is going to be a guy who fights in the name of the Lord. He allowed a leader who was not of God and really all there to be elected up and to lead a nation so that a stronger leader can come up and be glorified, and ultimately so that God can be glorified through that. He allowed Herod to be elected king and ruler over Israel during the time of Jesus. And upon hearing that the Messiah was born by the three wise men, Herod got really crazy. He said, no, 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 I am the one in charge. I am the one. And so you know what he did? He had uh, orders to go out and to kill all of the one-year-olds and below uh, young boys in the whole nation. To have them all slaughtered. But God allowed that to happen. He allowed it to happen so that Jesus could flee into Egypt and grow up to be the man of God that we all know and love. To be our Savior. He works through the wicked. See, God has been using ungodly rulers forever to accomplish His will. We need to trust in that more than we trust and the person who will be running this country in the next few years. And know one more thing. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. If God can speak through an ass, donkey, he can speak through anyone. He can use anyone to do the things that he wants to be done. Know that. Know that just because someone that might not be perfect does not mean that they cannot be used by God. Aren't we all imperfect in some way? Amen. So just pray through all those things. Just preach it out. Okay. Getting back on track. Back on the sermon. You're probably going to have to edit that whole part out. Oh, God. ADD pastor. 
So I thought the book of Philippians would be good for that reason that we're going through a time where we're, we're, we're kind of scared and we need to rejoice in all circumstances. I also thought it would be a good reason to go through because of the state of this church. God has put this church in a great area, in a great place here. I mean, I, I really believe that within 19,000 people, within one square mile, we are in a place where God says, you are here, the, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And you have to do some good work here. I believe he's brought us here, but I believe the struggles are real, okay? And it's easy whenever you're in a church like this and you're working for the Lord and you're doing the best you can that you can start to feel frustrated, angry, hurt, sad, maybe discouraged, maybe get anxiety because you feel like you're doing all this work and you're not seeing much fruit from it. But we have got to remember that we have got to rejoice in all circumstances. It takes a lot of hard work to build a church. So I want you to be encouraged by this, okay? So with that... Let us begin to wrap up Paul's letter from prison by starting in the last chapter. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to chapter 4 of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, the scripture is going to be on the screen up behind me. Um, you can also log on to Facebook. You can, while you're there, you can check in and say, hey, pastor just talked about a donkey, and it was crazy. And, and then you can also uh, look under your seat. If you don't have a Bible, that's yours to keep. There's Bibles under your chairs as well. You can grab one of those and follow along. So you're going to see here in Scripture that Paul is going to go even further into applying the gospel. And he's going to urge um, for a rejoicing in a couple of circumstances here. He's going to urge people to be rejoicing and be full of joy. One thing he's going to say is that first off, he's going to ask these two parties, these two people to be together and rejoice together. And then after that, he's going to ask the church as a whole in Philippi to rejoice and be together unified. Okay. So with that being said, let's get started And if you would, please read along with me, starting here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, and my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And I entreat Eodia, and I entreat Syntyche, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, please, Help these women who have been labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we see Paul here in chapter 4 use the word entreat. The word entreat means to beg, to to plead with someone, to to really ask them. I I entreat you to do something. I, I entreat you to move. I entreat, I beg of you to do this, to change this way. He says, I entreat Erodia and Syntec. I entreat these two women, okay, whose, by the way, their names sound like they should be on the Hunger Games, okay? I'm just saying that, you know, uh, I volunteer as tribute, Syntec. You know, there we go. You know, I, I, they, that's them, okay? And he's telling, I want these two women to lay down their differences aside for the sake of the gospel because they're having a disagreement Something about the church. Now, women, this has not changed for obviously thousands of years. You women are still disagreeing with each other, okay? And it's still happening even as far back as then. Okay, I'm sorry, men. We do it too. Ladies, calm down. Don't, don't, don't lynch me after church, okay? I'm not picking on you guys, but this is, what, this is what happened, okay? What is really happening here, though, is there this unity is contradicting the model of Christian servanthood that Paul originally described in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And he's saying, like, 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 you you ladies are not doing what we have already said you should be doing. The way you live as a Christian servant, basically the way you live as a follower of Christ within the church, is not lining up to the way you should live. 
Okay, and you're asking yourself, well, what does it say in Philippians 2, 1 through 11? I'm glad you asked. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. It's a couple of pages to the left, like Beyonce, to the left, to the left. Pastor Felix hasn't slept in a while. <laughs> Philippians 2, verse 1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Number four, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and began and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Paul says, you girls ain't right. Like, y'all ladies ain't right. You girls are arguing, you're bickering over something within the church. This relationship is filling the air with this unity and anxiety. There's a stench to it. It's starting to, to really soak into the congregation, and it's causing strife between these two women in the church. It's stressful. It's a distraction, and it does not help further the kingdom of God at all. He's probably thinking, I literally just wrote this two chapters ago, and now I'm having to reinforce this with you women, that you continue to do this. And I don't know what all the fighting was about. We don't know what the fight was over. It was probably something crazy like coffee or, you know, like, like why did you put your Bible there? Like, it was probably, maybe it was over a man. I don't know. But we do know this one thing, is that they were really close to each other. These two women were close. Paul mentioned that they had labored side by side with him in the work of the gospel, along with a guy named Clement and a few others. He said that these women were close to each other. They, when you labor, labor with someone, when you, when you work with someone, you get close to someone. You want to know what it's like to really uh, get to know someone? Do a job with them. Do a major project with them. Learn to, to work with that person. you got split personalities. you got you know, workaholics. you got slackers. you got all these different people that come together and they have to work together. But these women, they did that. Maybe that was what the argument was about. But he said these two women were close enough together to where they worked together and they did things for the gospel with Paul. These people were on a mission together. These people wanted to build a church that would reach out and make an impact here at the church of Philippi. That's what they were doing. And Paul is fixing to teach these two women a lesson about what it means to be joyful in the Lord. He's fixing to explain to them why rejoicing in the Lord is so important. And he, in all of this arguing that produces anxiety, he's fixing to tell them that that is just ridiculous. But this disunity between these two women can be a very valuable lesson to you and me here today. We can learn from these two women. You see, just like these two women, we have got to be of one accord. 
here together as a church, of one mind together as a church. We have got to be of one love here together as a church, rejoicing in the Lord as we work together for the gospel. Well, listen, the reason for rejoicing, the reason why we're saying that, is because of the proximity of the Lord's presence at that time. The reason why we're talking about rejoicing is not because it makes you feel good. The reason why we talk about rejoicing is not to make you feel like everything is good and happy. The reason why we talk about rejoicing is that rejoicing brings you closer to God. It brings you closer to God. Let me explain. God conquers the anxiety that creates tensions among the body of believers through these three steps. The first thing is through prayer and with thanksgiving. That's step number two. And number three is that he invites an all-surpassing peace to come in. Paul explains all that here in verse 4. Verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's talking about these two women. He's like, I'm going to reiterate here. I'm going to remind you what you need to be doing. You need to be rejoicing in the Lord always. I say rejoice all the time. Verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That means the Lord is at work. God is doing something here, okay? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, that's one, and supplication, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, be prayerful and being thankful for what you have. Let your requests be made to God, in verse 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with stress, anger, disunity of some sort with someone within the church, a brother or sister in Christ, the answer is not to continue that cycle. We all have reasons to be pissed off at each other. The answer does not mean to continue to be like that. The answer is to stop, pray, be thankful for what God has done, and allow his peace to come over you. And maybe with that peace in mind, you can go and you can offer forgiveness or you can tell them, I am sorry for what I have done. And even if you didn't do anything, maybe you should be the bigger person to step up first. When you do that, you give thanks and prayer to God. You do it in all of your circumstances. Look at Paul. He was down in the middle of jail, praising God for what he has done. If anyone had reason to have strive, it was him. Yet he was thankful for the circumstances that he was in. Paul finally follows up with a reminder to meditate on all that is true, but particularly on what is honorable, pure, and lovely in the gospel. Paul says, okay, here's what you do. I want you to rejoice on all these things, okay? But to help you get through that, you need to meditate on things that are good. You need to be positive about what's going on in your life. It doesn't mean to be completely like against negativity, okay? Like, Okay, we're not going to talk about chicken, uh, Chick-fil-A here, but we're not, if you guys know Facebook, you know what's going on with that. But, you know, we're going to talk about being positive here, okay? We're going to talk about focusing on things that are honorable, pure, lovely, and true in the gospel. Paul says here in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul reminds us once more that our Christian community is to be marked by joy and unity. When people think about the church, they should think about a church that is unified 
and joy and their just passion for the gospel and doing something together. The bad thing is that church has kind of messed that up over the years, haven't we? As a church, we, we allow pride to pop up in between us. We allow anger and strive against brothers and sisters in Christ to pop up in between us. We actually stop preaching what we should be preaching to other people. We get angry, upset when someone doesn't come to church for a while. We think badly upon someone when we think, well, they're not actually doing their part and pulling their own weight here. We need people to step up, and they're not stepping up, and in turn you have anger towards them. But Scripture says that we should be unified in joy. Maybe instead of being angry against someone, maybe you should thank God for the fact that they're even here. Instead of being angry and upset with someone, maybe you should be thanking God that He is doing a work in their lives that, that He wasn't before. Maybe we should be unified and thankful in the things that God is doing versus focusing on the things that people are not doing. All of that, all the grudges, all of the, 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 the church drama that, that people decide to indulge into, all of that does is it creates and builds up anxiety and stress within the body of believers. And what does that do? Relational discord and unappeased anxiety rob the gospel community robs us of our joy. So when we give in to strive and you're angry and unforgiveness against someone, what that does is it robs the church of joy. It sets us back thousands of years. Puts away all the, pro- uh, all the progress we have made at the church. Let me ask you guys this. How many of you here feel as if you do not need forgiveness because you're perfect? How many of you can raise your Instead of focusing on the flaws of people, why don't we focus on the awesomeness of God and go forward with that, have that joy. Because when we give thankfulness to God, when we pray and we give thanks to the Lord, He comes closer to us and we're in God's presence. It's then that we can cultivate a thankful, praying, and peaceful heart within our soul. And when we have that, it's not a place where disunity or dysfunctionality even tend to grow. Church, Maybe you've been harboring some anger towards a fellow Christian. Maybe you've been in disagreement and you can't find common ground with someone. Maybe you find yourself feeling real anxious about things. You're upset. You're frustrated with things. Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable as a result of your heart not being able to serve God because of that. Maybe we should take some time to memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Maybe we should meditate on those things. And maybe we time for us to focus on rejoicing in the good things of the Lord instead of the bad things around you and me. If we do that, then, maybe just then, we can find it in our heart to forgive those who we have strive against. Forgive those who are angry against. And move forward and begin working for the Lord together, unified as one church, in one accord, in one love, in one hope. Let's pray.